As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's barely been more than a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, and in these very strange, very uncertain times, they are still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. Ari and I have tried to stay on top of all the roster movement with Ohio State football and Ohio State basketball. Trey Sermon coming to the Buckeyes, obviously a huge deal. NFL free agency is going on. We have that covered. Minor league baseball players aren't getting the financial support they need from their league counterparts. Our, our baseball writers are covering that. I started reading a great series this week that Joe Posnanski has done for us on the 100 best baseball players of all time, and he wrote unique essays on all of them, and that's still ongoing, and that's certainly something that can fill your time. It's during times like this that The Athletic can help keep you connected to the teams, athletes, and sports that you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash 4-6, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us all to sports, those don't go away. So go to theathletic.com slash 4-6 for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to another episode of 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast on The Athletic. This is Bill Landis with Ari Wasserman. Ari, you, uh, last week, it was it was touching. We talked about how much we missed each other, even though we weren't that far away from each other, and then you went farther away from me. Yeah, I know. I was weirded out by the weird sense of, you know, something nice coming out of your mouth, so I just bolted down. <laughs> you figured he'd get out of town while you had the win? Yeah, I did, uh, so everybody knows... Well, we're in quarantine. There's no sports. There's no spring football. There's nothing going on. I figured instead of sitting in my apartment alone uh, in Columbus that I would drive out to Arizona where I grew up and spend some quality time with my family that I moved away from 10 years ago. So now I'm quarantined with my parents in my childhood bedroom. How are the folks? Things are going pretty good. little freaking out happening right now because, you know, I think the older you are, the more dramatic you are. Um, but, you know, things are going pretty good. Would it would it make everybody feel any better to know that the Buckeyes are rolling, baby? 
another running back into the fold for Ohio State. My dad was just worried about getting enough canned goods in the house just in case we're not allowed to leave. Not a lot of Buckeye recruiting talk happening in the Wasserman household right now. Oh, so he doesn't care that Trey Sermon's coming to Ohio State? I mean, that's like number two on his priority list, and number one is staying alive. Number one, stay alive. Number two, find some green beans. Number three, Trey Sermon's a Buckeye. I think green beans falls in the category of staying alive, Bill. If I if the if the uh, choices were starve or only live on green beans, what would you pick? Would you live on green beans? I'll give it to my dad. The guy got some enough bushes baked beans in there to, to put a cow down. <laughs> Is right, bushes well, baked beans the official food of the apocalypse? Like, is that what people eat at the end of, you know, you put it in a pan and then put a little lighter underneath it to warm them up a little bit? Like, like I always like just a fire. Yeah. Yeah. Baked beans are a barbecue food for Fourth of July and things that people eat in poverty and crisis. That's it. There's the only three reasons. No one ever, yeah, no one, no one ever eats baked beans on a Wednesday in December. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's perfect kettle food. <laughs> kettle food. There's probably still plenty of baked beans at. I went to a grocery store yesterday. There was toilet paper. I was shocked. There were no baked beans at the grocery store. That's unless they restocked it. But all the canned goods, anything that marginally tastes good in a can, was gone the last time I was in a grocery store. And all really? the frozen pies, which I want to know later in the show, where you rank your frozen pies. Ooh, that'll be a good one. Let me write that down. Yeah, I didn't have that in my show notes here because I thought it was very interesting to see which um, pies were the stragglers. Uh, you know, like the entire frozen pizza section was gone except like a few different brands. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Those ones are still here. So I'm very interested to see what you think. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. All right. Let's talk about yeah. Ohio State football for a little bit first. Uh, Ohio sure. State did uh, land Trey Sermon, uh, kind of a poorly kept secret. I think we all thought that this is where it was going. Trey Sermon entered the portal, I think officially last week or maybe it was two weeks ago. And now he's going to be a Buckeye. And the question I want to ask you, Ari, to, to kind of kick off this discussion about Trey Sermon is, I think you and I sort of differed in opinion a little bit on what exactly Ohio State needed to at running back in order to be a national championship playoff contender, however you want to label it. How much does this change your opinion of where they were going into 2020? I think it changes it a pretty good amount. Um, it wasn't really so much about um, the idea that they needed to go out there and get Adrian Peterson to win the national championship, but you just you wanted to have somebody that you know was capable of making big plays on the biggest stage and somebody who's ready to play right now. And, you know, maybe we're all looking at this and Marcus Crowley will end up being the starting running back this year or they'll split carries. You never know how it's going to turn out. But I think just having this added option, somebody who's rushed for over 2,000 yards in his career, somebody who has, ironically enough, scored touchdowns in Ohio Stadium, um, and somebody who is a highly rated recruit that has some natural talent. Uh, granted, he is coming off an injury, but I do think that adding him to that room gives Ohio State another option. Um, and the more options you have for somebody to pan out, the more likely it is that you'll be okay. And I think that you know the Ohio State world has kind of freaked out like they just signed Eddie George. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do think that anytime you can add an option, you ha- it's a pretty good step in the right direction. And when we talked about this before, Bill, I think that we both agreed that finding a one-year transfer rental for this year was the perfect natural solution to their issue. And at the time when we were talking about it, it was just like, well, there is nobody. So for him to just kind of appear out of the sky and fall out of the sky, excuse me, um, I think this is the perfect situation for Ohio State. Not the best running back in the world, but probably the perfect solution to the problem they had. 
he he's good and i want to say that to like sort of preface the point or i guess maybe that the question i'm going to throw at you and you sort of alluded to it there but he rushed for 2000 yards at oklahoma um had a really good debut year scored like you mentioned in that game in 2017 in ohio stadium uh his sophomore year he was just under a thousand yards had 13 touchdowns Last year, he kind of just fell off the face of the earth. He had 54 carries, and then he injured his knee in the 10th game of the season and didn't play the rest of the year. But he like his numbers severely dropped off from what he had done in his freshman and sophomore year. Now he was in a backfield with Jalen Hurts, who carried the ball a ton, and they had another talented running back there named Kennedy Brooks, who ended up did he did rush for a uh, thousand yards the last two years, and I guess he's going to be their starter in in 2020. But Trey Sermon, for as good as he was. Never led Oklahoma in rushing. Uh, never had more than 200 carries in a season. And I just don't know. Like, I, I guess I want to manage expectations here a little bit or at least like figure out what they should be for a guy like this. Because like you said, like it's not it's not Adrian Peterson. Because like, why would Adrian Peterson be in the transfer portal? He's a good player. He is more experienced than what Ohio State had. Um, he was more productive than anybody. The only guy that had any kind of production was was Master Teague, and he, had, he was pretty good last year. But he's been productive in bigger moments than anybody on Ohio State's roster, and I think that's important. But from a talent standpoint and like what we think the running game might look like next year, I don't think Ohio State just like landed a guy who's going to come in here and carry the ball 250 to 300 times like J.K. Dobbins has done. I think this is a little bit different. And I don't know if you feel the same way or if you feel like this guy's coming here to be a, a bell cow and be – what we have come to expect, frankly, from Ohio State running backs to last, you know, forever. I don't think he's going to carry the ball nearly as much as Dobbins did last year. I think we can agree on that, right? Yeah, Dobbins carried it 301 times last year. It's kind of weird. Dobbins carried it 301 times last year. Trey Sermon has carried it 339 times in his entire career. Yeah, I think that it's going to be more of a running back by committee situation still. I think he might be the leading running back um, touch getter. But I'm not. I don't think that the way that people have reacted on social media to what they are getting, I think, is completely wrong. And I'm not saying it wasn't a big move. I'm not saying he's not good. I'm not saying he's not going to be a big part of Ohio State's backfield and one of the best offenses in the country. But I thought the celebrations of of what they had just gotten were a little bit out of whack in comparison to what he did get. Because if you go back and look at what happened at Oklahoma. Before he got injured, he lost his job, basically, to Kennedy Brooks. Um, and I was talking to our Oklahoma beat writer, Jason Kersey, and he's not sure because uh, what happened, um, because it was kind of kept under wraps a little bit. But, you know, Trey Sermon is a very good running back and a very good, talented um, player. But for some reason, I think he carried the ball zero times um, in one game, two times the next game, and then got injured later on. So was there a falling out? Was somebody better than him? We don't really know. Ohio State's not going to bring in somebody who's got um, issues off the field, so I'm not implying that. But there was something that went wrong with his tenure at o- at Oklahoma that made him in the put him in this situation. So I think that all those things considered, you have to temper your expectations. They did not just sign Eddie George. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any reason to believe that there's like um, like there's baggage here or anything like that. Um, I think, like, if you look at some of the things that Lincoln Riley said last year about why Trey Sermon wasn't as involved as he had been, it was it was more about game plan stuff. I think a lot of it was Jalen Hurts, and you know maybe Kennedy Brooks is better, but just because Kennedy Brooks is better doesn't mean that Trey Sermon is going to be bad at Ohio State. I talked with Trey's high school coach um, the other day, and obviously he's going to speak very highly of him. But you know every, everything he said about Trey, like 
portrayed a, a really nice guy who's very into his faith. They call his nickname. They call him the preacher. I didn't know that about that until I wrote the story, and then a bunch of Oklahoma fans were in the story saying, "We'll miss you, preacher man." That's a great nickname. Um, I, I think this is a genuinely good person, like good dude and good locker room guy. Maybe that Ohio State is is bringing into the program, and 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 this is pure speculation. But maybe it was just a case of you feel like you're on track to be the man somebody else shows up it's not what you thought it would be and maybe you don't handle that great doesn't mean you're you're not you're not a good player doesn't mean that you wouldn't function well in in a better situation and and what he's coming to at ohio state ohio state i think is unquestionably a better situation i agree with you that it will be or it will likely be a a committee deal now that depends on marcus crowley's health because he's also coming off an injury and i think the injury that he's coming off of is is more significant than Trey Sermon's um, injury. Trey Sermon uh, did an interview with um, Letterman Rowe, and he said his injury was an LCL, not an ACL, and that is a quicker recovery time um, to the point where if we were under normal circumstances, he'd probably be doing football stuff um, next month or, or maybe in May. It's not a it's not a six month waiting period. He got injured in the tenth game of the year. I think I don't think there's any concern about him being ready. For 2020, I think maybe there'd be more concern about Marcus Crowley, but Ryan Day was pretty adamant that he expects Marcus Crowley back. And you have Steel Chambers. We don't know about him. He's missing some pretty valuable time here, I think. He's one of the guys that, that is probably most impacted by by there being no spring football right now. And we don't know if Master Teague's healthy or going to be healthy enough to play at all in 2020. But even with all that, I still think that, that Sermon's looking at a situation where he'll probably get more carries than he ever had at Oklahoma. His his high in, in a season was 164. I think we can safely project that it'll be higher than that, but I don't think he's going to be approaching what Zeke Elliott had, what J.K. Dobbins had, because I think a guy like Marcus Crowley, if he's healthy, and we have every reason to believe he will be, is talented enough to take some of those carries away, and maybe Steel Chambers will. Justin Fields is going to run a little bit, but with all that being said, I think this is a better spot for Trey Sermon. This is what I wrote. I, like Ohio State needed help, and I think Trey Sermon needed help. I think Trey Sermon is is going to be an outgoing senior with NFL aspirations, and I think he's a pro tailback. But I think he needed to be in a situation where he was going to be showcased a little more than maybe he would have been at Oklahoma. Ohio State's going to give him that, and on on the other side of that coin is Ohio State finding experience that really was only the, the questionable position, I think, on their offense. Yeah, I think that the, the entire move made a bunch of sense for both sides. And the second that his name popped up um, – I think we knew this was going to happen. So, um, and Ohio State has done a pretty good job of putting people in a position to be successful. And if I had to guess, I'm assuming that Sermon could be in a, a situation where he could run for 1,500 yards. I don't know if we're going to do an over/under on what we think, but I do think yeah. that the, he, he, if I had to guess right now, that he could rush for more than 1,500 yards next year. And if that's the case, then you have somebody who is a main cog in this offense and is pretty important to what Ohio State wants to do offensively. Ohio State was in the danger zone. Is that how we call it, danger zone? I believe that's how we label it, yeah. Ohio State, that was how Ryan Day labeled it. I think Ohio State was one injury away from being in the danger zone. That injury happened a day after Ryan Day said it, so Ohio State was in the danger zone. And I think that Trey Sermon's transfer into Ohio State has brought Ohio State way out of the danger zone, but I don't think it is the savior the way that they would be had jk dobbins come back or something like that you know i think it's somewhere in the middle there it's yeah it's a step below that but i think it's i think it's still good um i i didn't include in the story i wrote i didn't include like film of trey sermon because i wasn't sure if i'm allowed to use it i know i can use big 10 film and i use it a lot but i wasn't sure about big 12 so i didn't hopefully in the future i'll be able to but if you look at what sermon did even going back to high school 
um, and then what he did at Oklahoma, I think he is a fit for what Ohio State wants to do schematically. He doesn't really remind me much of any of their recent running backs. He's he's six foot, two hundred and twenty pounds, maybe a little over six foot, two hundred twenty pounds. Kind of an upright runner. Maybe maybe he's more similar to like a Marcus Crowley or even a Master Teague. I don't think he's like Dobbins. I don't think he's like Zeke. He's not as fast as Zeke, but he's not, he's you know, probably like a four five ish forty kind of guy. Um, but he's really physical. Broke a ton of tackles, got a lot of yards after contact, which is what J.K. did great last year. I think he can catch the ball. Um, I had uh, Matt Brown, one of our editors at The Athletic, pull some numbers for me from from Sports Info Solutions, at, uh, an advanced sort of stat service that we use. And Trey Sermon had something like 47 passing targets in the three years he was at Oklahoma, and he had one drop. Now, that could be a little off because, you know, Maybe they maybe they missed one, but even if it's if you're targeted that many times and you have fewer than two or three drops, I think you're a pretty reliable pass catcher, and, and that's an area where I think Ohio State's offense is progressing a little bit too, trying to get that position more involved. And and I don't know if they had that on the roster, and, and Sermon brings that a little bit, so I think it's a good fit. I don't I don't think he's going to put up. Maybe he will. Maybe he will put up two thousand yards. Maybe he's going to get healthy and he's ready to have a monster season. And and we know how good Ohio State's offense has been. Um, you can you can slot a lot of guys into this offense and, and find success, and their offensive line is going to be really good. It's on the table, certainly, for Trey Sermon to have the best year he's had in his career, um, and he's been pretty good up until this point. But I, I think it's good to like pull back the reins a little bit and just remind people that like this is good. Ohio State had a need. Ohio State filled it. But there's also a reason why, why Trey Sermon was available because he sort of fell out of the picture a little bit at Oklahoma. I think that the idea that Ohio State needs him as bad as they needed him puts them in a pretty good position because that's just a very rare thing at any position at Ohio State at this point. Um, going into spring football and absolutely needing somebody who's a plug-and-play player that can start right away. I don't know that – like I can't think of a time that that's ever happened in the last 10 years. Or Jonah Jackson maybe, I guess, last year. But, yeah, last you know, year, it's, a very, it's, a very, it's a very rare situation. Um, and I think it's going to be a good fit. I think so too. What? So what do you think? Uh, let, I mean, we got nothing to do but speculate for a few months while we wait to see if football's coming back. What do, what do you think a year, what do you think Trey Sermon's year looks like next year? Carry, like carries wise, yards wise, just what do you, what do you think he'll end up doing? 235 carries, 225 carries in that range. Um, a little bit more than two thirds of what JK got last year. In like sixteen hundred yards. That's a really good year. Yeah, I think Ohio State system. Good. I think Ohio State system in the position that they're in right now with Justin Fields, the crazy amount of talent they have at wideout, the opponents that they're playing. I think they've got a pretty good chance for a running back to have a, pre- a pretty big year. And again, I I don't know if it sounded like. Then you tell me if that sounded too harsh, Bill. Um, just because I said he's not Eddie George doesn't mean I think he's not good. I think he's a really good running back, and I think he's going to have a tremendous year. Um, and I just think that the um, circumstance of Ohio State's team, um, the way their schedule sets up, the fact that Ohio State's got transcendent quarterback who's going to open things up for the running game and a ton of talent on the outside, I think that he's going to have a great year. I really do. The thing about him is, and I – I, I I worry that yeah I, I worry a little bit that, that the way we're we're couching this is coming off as as negative and that's not the intention, um, 
even though he was not used a ton last year and it was sort of a bizarre drop-off in production, when he was used, he was still pretty good. He had 54 carries last year, and he averaged seven yards a carry, and he scored four touchdowns. And for his career, he's averaged, I think, better than six yards a carry. It was just over six as a freshman, just under six as a sophomore, and better than seven as a junior last year in a much more limited role. But if you extrapolate that over a season where you're talking about a guy like that getting 220, 200, and between 220 and 250 carries, and and who knows how many receptions, that's a really productive player. Like I think that I think this guy is going to be good at Ohio State, and and it it's. I think maybe a little easier to be good at a place like Ohio State because of all the talent that's around you. But play around with those numbers, and I think you're looking at a year where a guy has 1,400, 1,500 rushing yards because he's shown an ability to do it, and now he's coming into an offense that Oklahoma's offense is really good, and the defense in the Big Ten is is better than than he would have gone against on a more consistent basis. I think in the Big Ten, but. Ohio State's offense has been a juggernaut for a long time, really, since Urban Meyer got here, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. There is an opening for Trey Sermon to have a monster, monster year in his last year as a college football player. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think Ohio State's uh, offense is going to be the best offense in college football, and I think they, if there was some question now, I guess is a better way to say it to end up on an to end on an up note. If there was some question in my mind of whether or not Ohio State was good enough to win a national championship next season with the running backs they had currently had or they had in place a month ago before this happened i think that there's no longer any question of that i agree i i I think i had less of a question than you did but i think to be realistic you should have had questions and you know you should have questions anyway regardless kind of what the roster looks like but uh i feel better i would i I think i think you should feel better feel better bill i feel better i feel feel better okay i feel great i feel great (laughs) Go Bucks. Uh, anything else on Trey Sermon you want to talk about before we uh, get to subscriber questions? I was just like went back in time, and and I don't know much about what, um, how this process works in terms of like when you answer the transfer portal or when you know things start becoming clear of like in terms of like interest, but like I. Heard um, on February eighth. I'm looking that Trey Sermon was potentially going to be an option in the portal, and I texted somebody that was very close to the situation at that time on February eighth. So this is what over a month ago now, mm-hmm. almost two months ago, and that person said that that wasn't an option at that point. And then I was like, okay, well that makes sense because. It would be a breach of rules, whatever, if they knew at that point. Because I don't know how the timelines of this stuff works, but it was so such a good fit on both sides that, of course, it happened. You know, and I and I think that like it just worked out well. And as we've joked about in the past, I don't know what Ohio State does or who made a deal with the devil, but just stuff seems to line up for them at every turn. And if you're an Ohio State fan, I think you should take some time to appreciate that because that's a very tough thing to do most of the time in college football when a program has a need or their coach leaves or their scandal or whatever you want to put it they lose a bunch of games because of it ohio state never seems to do to do that so i don't know uh whoever made the deal with the devil you know the whole fan base thanks you i guess but it is it's pretty remarkable bill they seem to avoid disaster at every turn and i'm not saying that they were in disaster in this scenario but the fact that they got somebody that's this good of a fit 
this seamlessly. I don't even know if did Trey Sermon even visit anywhere else. It was it was just easy. No, I don't. He didn't visit anywhere because he was in the portal. Yeah, the recruiting was or face to face recruiting wasn't allowed. But the thing about it is, were there other schools I, involved? No, I think I think it was pretty clearly Ohio State from the jump, and Ohio State reached out. I'm, I'm sure immediately as soon as it could. But the thing, like I wrote a story on uh, what's today Tuesday. We're recording on Tuesday. I wrote on, on Monday. The story was like how how Trey Sermon helps Ohio State and how Ohio State helps Trey Sermon was the headline. And then like I tweeted it, and someone responded, "You like you mean like how Ohio State tampered and got a player?" It's like grow up. Like we live in the real world. I don't think Ohio like whatever. I don't think Ohio State tampered with anything because these players talk to each other. Like Trey Sermon's not an idiot. He knows that Ohio State needed a running back, and Ohio State like keeps an eye on college football and knows he might be coming available. Every program in the country does this. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't doesn't involve you know back alley conversations to figure out who's going to transfer to your program or not. And maybe those things do happen, and maybe they happen at Ohio State. I have no idea. I don't think anything was done. Not above board here, but the thing about Trey Sermon is he grew up in suburban Atlanta. He played against Justin Fields in high school. He and Justin Fields trained together. And like Justin Fields knows a thing or two about being in a in a situation where you're not going to play and then going to Ohio State and what that can do for you. So I'm sure that Trey Sermon and Justin Fields may have had conversations and there's nothing wrong with that. They can do that all they want. They're friends who have known each other for a, probably eight or nine years at this point. Um, doesn't I mean that Ohio State is is doing things that it shouldn't be doing to, to get players to come to campus. Um, it has worked out in their favor. It doesn't all, like they've gotten tr- a, a transfer or two in the past that haven't worked out. They've lost guys. Like it's not. They've had a pr- pretty good success record, and and lately it's been really good. We can talk about Fields and Jonah Jackson and Trey Sermon. I think these things over time tend to even out, and if you continue to live a life where you need to constantly go into portal to find guys, I think eventually that's going to bite you. And I think Ohio State would prefer to not have to live that life. But it's gone well for them so far, and and it's because of there's always there's always little connections you can find. I think with these kind of things like Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins both worked with Quincy Avery, and Quincy Avery loves Ryan Day. Uh, Jonah Jackson went to Rutgers, and Rutgers was trying to become a mini version of Ohio State with Chris Ash. And then Trey Sermon is coming to Ohio State, was one recruited by Ohio State out of high school, I think pretty heavily, until he got injured in his junior year. And also is, I don't know, friends might be too strong of a word, but he has a relationship with Justin Fields because they played high school school football against each other and worked out together. So like there are explanations for these things. Yeah, it's not that... No one's implying that Ryan Day sent Sermon a text at halftime of one of his games last year. It's just it's very interesting to see how this stuff kind of pans out because, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know how much information a player like Trey Sermon can have before he makes the decision to enter the portal. And it's always like a chicken and the egg thing. Did he enter the portal because he knew that Ohio State needed him or did he find that out once that he he entered? And I would say, based on the information of just being in the regular world, that he would know that that might be a likely destination for him, which is why the rumor started in February and the reason why I heard about it. So, you know, in terms of being real life thing, I agree with everything you said. I just think that people are aware of their surroundings. Well, some people. Some people. Self-awareness is still in short supply. I had a friend um, on Instagram who flew on an airplane on Tuesday and was in Florida on vacation and flew back to Ohio. And then the next day put up a meme on their Instagram saying, everybody stay home. 
and I wanted to strangle that person. It's one thing to completely ignore what we're supposed to be doing as a society while we're trying to curb the spread of this illness. It's another thing to completely disregard that and then the next day talk at everybody about what we're supposed to do. That is a lack of self-awareness. Does that person listen to the podcast? I hope they do. It's unbelievable. (laughs) They're posting pictures of themselves on an airplane and at the beach. And then the next day, they've got the balls to tell people (laughs) not to leave, not to leave their house. And this was like three days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that little mini rant, but it's been bubbling. You know how I get angry? Yeah, I know how you get angry. Yeah. (laughs) I needed to let that out. All right, we're going to talk about happier things. Let's talk about your frozen uh, pizza adventures, and then we will get to questions from our beloved subscribers, who we thank so much for being subscribers to The Athletic. I have a very interesting, um, I don't know if it's controversial or not, but I, I think there is a clear number one frozen pizza brand and crust style, and it's the best one. And I would say it's almost on par with how good I would get like a regular delivery pizza. And I think it's red Baron classic crust pizza. And I get the classic cheese one. I think that's the best frozen pizza that there is in that entire aisle. And I know that that's controversial, um, but I love it. And my second favorite is Tony's. I agree with both of those takes. I'm a big red, big red Baron fan. I, I've had Tony's only a couple times, but I like Tony's. Um, I don't mind. I don't even know if they still do these. The like individual tombstone pizzas, I think, were pretty good. Um, what do you mean, individual? You could get like a bag that had like six little circular uh, tombstone pizzas in it. They might have been deep dish pizzas. Oh no, I don't know. They, I always I, thought I, the tombstone came with wrapping around a piece of circular cardboard. That is coming a box. Size. That is the bigger size. These these were I got in college. I remember. I remember vividly. Okay. I used to get them. Those are decent. Um, I always a big a big fan of the of the Stouffer's uh, French bread pizzas. Yeah, very good. They burn the shit out of your mouth, but they're good, um, and scrape the roof of your mouth too. But I like those, and I think the I think the most ubiquitous ubiquitous most ubiquitous might be uh, an unnecessary thing to say, but the word ubiquitous or whatever yeah, you just said implies, is unnecessary. Implies, implies it's a most. football football podcast, and we're talking about frozen pizza here. This isn't. This the is one, a physics class or whatever. The one that gets thrown in your <laughs> ubiquitous just means well known. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too big of a word. Well known and ever present. Uh, DiGiorno and it sucks. I think DiGiorno blows, and I, I can't say it loud enough for everybody in the back. But you know, want to know something? Here's my overall frozen pizza take. And you know, pizza's pizza. If somebody makes a DiGiorno. You'll eat it. I'm not saying it's disgusting because pizza is good, but it is the worst of the pizzas um, in the frozen section. And I think that any pizza with rising crust in the frozen section sucks. I think that all pizzas should have the classic Red Baron, not thin crust, but just that regular frozen crust. You know what I'm talking about? The classic mm-hmm. crust. Yep. I think that's the only way to, I would, I don't, I would never buy a rising crust frozen pizza. And I think that you just got to go with the crust that is in the the classic classic crust and and live with that. Um, But you want to know what pizza really sucks and all the ones that were still there. Um, I know. I know exactly what it was. All right. Try to guess. California Pizza Kitchen. 
California Pizza Kitchen, Frozen Pizza, and the Geno's East Deep Dish ones were the only two that were left. And I tried the Geno's East one once. It is terrible. It was awful. I threw it away. I couldn't even eat it. And it's like $9. And it's like one of those things that you have to keep in your oven for like 50 minutes because it's the deep dish style. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. But like to me, it's Red Baron, Tony's, Tombstone, those classic frozen crusts, and then the rest is trash. Do you ever have a Mama Celeste? No, I don't know what that is. Yeah, that might have been. I don't know if that's like a regional thing or not, but we used to eat those a lot when we were a kid. We also used to eat, uh, we always called it Elio's because we're from Philadelphia and we're trash and don't know how to pronounce anything. I think it's actually pronounced Elio's, but they were like little square pizzas. Uh, those are really good too. Little, It's a different kind of style. Yeah, but pie squared equals those. good pie. Yeah. My dad pie. always told me that pie squared <laughs> equals good pie. Um, and there's one other one, and I wanted to know what your take is on this, and then we can move on. But you know those like little trashy 99-cent Totino's ones, those party pizzas? Yeah. It's the same company that makes the, the best rolls. thing in the world, pizza rolls. Yep. And I think those are pretty good too. I don't think I've ever had one, but I know what you're talking about. I like pizza Yeah, they're rolls. like – it's called party pizza, and the crust is like flaky – and it's like I think the entire pizza is like half the size of a Red Baron, and it's like eighty eighty nine cents for the pizza. And I think, you know, it's like square. It's pretty good. Oh yeah, look at that. That looks pretty good. Yeah, no, it's not the grocery the, store. Yeah, I mean they sell that one in gas stations. <laughs> Might have to run out to UDF and get some pizza. <laughs> yeah, and they have Jacks and UDF and all that. But like, I'm surprised that you and I agree. Red Baron, classic crust. Big Red Baron guy. I that might be in the running for last meal. Oh, let's not get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for I love pizza. it. Hey, how do you cook your frozen pie? What do you mean? In the oven. No, I understand that, but some people like it well done. Some people like it a little bit less well done. Do you add cheese to the top of it? Like a psychopath? My father always adds cheese to the top of it from yes, like a shredded I- bag. Do you do that? I will I will add cheese. I probably lean more on the less well done side only because it's hard it's hard to cook the things evenly. Because you're not starting you're not like if you cook a regular pizza you're like starting from raw with the dough and you're not doing that when you buy a frozen pizza you're basically reheating everything and I think that the crust can get charred a little quick if you're not careful. So I probably shade it to a touch under undercooked, not undercooked, but I I'm medium. on the same page with you. Um, undercooked medium where it's crispy but the cheese still isn't isn't like brown yeah it's like the perfect the perfect pizza in the oven is when you get it to a point where the crust is crunchy but the top of the cheese isn't really well done Mm -hmm. that's the sweet spot this is great i'm gonna uh, hop in the car drive to arizona be you papa was are gonna have a frozen pizza party Oh my god, I would I would take a year off my life to have that happen. <laughs> Actually, of things the things uh if I can make a list of top 10 things I would want to do in my life before it's over, I think that would be on there. I love your dad. He's the man. But but uh, pizza party with my dad or the whole experience of driving across the country like I did. Driving across the country is nice. Pizza party with your dad, I guess you can come to. Yeah, the driving across the country part from Columbus to Phoenix, it's actually a pretty easy drive. The first half of it sucks, and the second half of it's amazing. Yeah, you went, you went and relived the entire series of Breaking Bad, too, while you were in Mexico. Yeah, well, Breaking Bad is the greatest uh, television show of all time, 
And if you're going to argue with me with that, I'm just going to click off here because it's just not even a debate. And while I was there, I was just like, I wanted to see the places. And it's unbelievable, but like the way that they're portrayed in the show is exactly the way they are in real life. You put some pictures on your Twitter account. If there are people who are listening who are Breaking Bad fans, check out Ari's Twitter account. He's got some photos on there. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to uh, things people care about and not frozen pizza. Questions from our dear, dear subscribers. From Sam G, he asks, uh, how was the closing of campus affecting uh, the freshmen who came up early to get a feel for the program? Are they still holding smaller workouts, stuck in a dorm room until given the okay to head home? How does this situation affect teams' game one readiness? I'll answer the first part of that. Uh, They are not holding – well, I guess – I suppose if they live somewhere close to each other, they could be holding smaller workouts together. I think we've seen some photos of, like, G. Scott out in Washington working with some guys out there. Justin Fields was was throwing with some guys down in Atlanta. But they're largely, I think for the most part, not here unless they were already local in the first place. They're not allowed in their dorm rooms. The dorm rooms at Ohio State are closed. I believe Monday was the final day that student athletes could come back and clear all their stuff out of the locker rooms and the athletic facilities are closed. So, and a lot of places around the country, including Ohio, have closed gyms totally. So there are guys working out in home gyms, going to their old high schools and running around on the field. They're just trying to find ways uh, to make it work and uh, to tie in with that, to plug something. Andy Staples and Nicole Auerbeck did a really kind of funny, kind of interesting story where they did the at-home workouts that these programs, not Ohio State, but other programs, are giving to their players to try to do while there's no weight room and if they have a shortage of of workout equipment at their house. Andy's pushing a truck. Uh, Nicole was doing barbell or dumbbell curls with wine bottles. Uh, It's pretty funny. I suggest you go check it out. But did you you, uh, Could you push a truck, Bill? Watching Andy do it made me think that I could, and Andy's in, in better shape than I am and certainly works out more than I do. I'm bigger than he is. Andy was Andy was a college offensive lineman for a minute at Florida, but I I think I'm I'm like significantly bigger than he is. That's no offense at him. I'm significantly bigger than a lot of people. I'm a monster. Uh, I I think I could probably do it. Like for how long? Not very long at all. But I think I could move it a little bit. Yeah. Could you? I don't know the answer to that. I think I'd be better off pushing it than pulling it. I don't think I could pull it. I think I could push it. Yeah, if it's a I've, neutral, I've I don't know. Legs. I, I didn't watch Andy do it yet, but like I feel like it might be easier than you would think if it's a neutral and there's wheels. I mean, it looked pretty difficult. I don't, I don't want to say it's easy. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I just mean like you would think just off the top of your head that that would be an impossible task, and it might not be as impossible as you think. He was pushing a big-ass truck, too. Yeah. It, was, it looked like a 250, Ford 250, F-250. Uh, how do you think the the shutdown that everyone's going through right now might impact how ready teams are for the start of the season, assuming there is a season? You know, I was on the radio in uh, in Cleveland the other day, um, and they and I said something like, "I think every day that goes by, the likelihood that there isn't a college football season this year goes up." And that's not rocket science. It's just every day that goes by where you're closer to the opener, where there's no resolution to this, the odds of the season not happening are go higher, right? But the reason why I feel this way is, and I think that I don't remember the entire question you just asked or if it's a question that we're going to get later on in the show, but I don't know if these kids are going to be as physically prepared to start fall camp at this rate. I mean, they can't even go to LA Fitness right now, and they're not here. They're not in Columbus. Um, So and when I say here, I mean Columbus. I'm in Phoenix. Uh, But 
I don't know what they're supposed to do. And like you have to get creative and you've got to go to your home gyms and go to fields and run and do all the stuff that you do. But there's nothing that they can do that's going to match the weightlifting regimen that they're going to be under during the offseason or the guidance of Mickey Marotti. And it's like, so even if they're off campus and they don't come back to campus till the middle of the summer or even later, I don't even know if the team is going to be prepared enough physically to start fall camp. And when you're not prepared physically to play at this level, injuries increase. And I think that there's, unless they, that we get this under control in the next month or two and extend what the coaches are allowed to do to make up for spring football in terms of overseeing the team, they might not have enough time to get ready for the season. I mean, we're not like nine months away here. We're like three and a half months away from fall camp. And that'll be almost, it'll be almost nine months off of foot, football drills at that point, right? Like, am I nuts? I don't think you're nuts. We had another question about that from Mark W. who said, with the cancellation, asked with the cancellation of spring workouts, uh, will the NCAA allow an expanded summer workout prior to a fall football season? Um, which I think is a good question, and, and I, I would think would have to happen because the thing about it is they're, they're not going to start a football season, I think, without what is a normal fall camp, which is uh, I think it's 28 practices, if I'm, if I'm wrong. I think it's 28 practices. It's basically four or five weeks you have to build up to the start of the season, and I don't, they wouldn't start a season unless they can do that first. But you make a good point. like You have to get ready for that before you can do it, and like spring is part of that. Obviously, there's a gap between spring and and when that would happen. But there are also workouts in the summer. These guys get here in June, and they work out before that. We don't know when they're going to be able to get back on campus. It Maybe it will be June. I think that's probably an optimistic projection at this point. Um, spring football is is going to be canceled. It hasn't outright been canceled yet by Ohio State, but it's going to be, and it's already happened at other places. I don't. Th- my guess is like best case scenario. I think guys might be able to come back to school in July and start working out, and maybe in the month of July, the NCAA would allow – a period of increased contact than, than what coaches are normally allowed. I think it's it's typically 10 hours a week they're allowed in those sort of off-season periods. Maybe it'd be more than that. And and if it's not full-fledged padded practice for like a two-week stretch in July, maybe it's it's something approaching like an NFL kind of mini camp. But the other thing you have to factor in too is like these are unpaid college athletes, and I think you can only realistically ask them to do so much without overstepping your bounds. And that's not to say the players wouldn't want to do it. I'm sure many of them would. And, and coaches certainly would too, but I think you have to balance that as well when you're talking about amateur athletes, just how much you're asking them to work. There are built-in rules for um, practice times and when. Do you, you mean that consecutively, though? What do you mean? Like because they're not working right now, so like if you take the amount of time that they're wa- they're they're no longer putting in for spring and then adding it to the summer or before fall, then you're still allocating the same amount of time. It's just more consecutive. Yeah, so I don't know I if you're talking about consecutively or total amount of time spent. Consecutively, like I don't think you can just extend the normal camp by two weeks. I think there has to be a break in between. Like I don't, I don't think you show up in the middle of July and you go straight through all the way to September, assuming this is when things are going to start back up. I think maybe you do yeah. first two weeks of July, you're off for two weeks, and then you're back for camp like you normally would be. Or if you know, yeah, I think that's what they would like do. The yeah, June. yeah. I just, yeah, don't I don't think they could have, have a. a Six week fall camp. I agree with that. NFL NFL training camps start what like the second week of July and and run through yeah. until the first week of September. Well, the, and it's the like total preseason build up anyway. And I guess in order to make this work, you know, and again we're just spitballing here because what else are we going to do? But I think it's possible that th- there are things that they can do to shave off 
commitments during the regular season, like maybe some non-conference games, getting rid of those or playing into December and, and cutting out conference championship game. I mean, there are things that they could do to shorten the season to still make it work. But right now, if the answer is skip spring football, no large workouts all summer, and then once this stuff comes down in August, come in for fall camp, I don't know if they'd be physically, that'd be the physically prudent thing to do to a team either. Like, I think there needs to be some sort of workout oversight from the Ohio State football program before they start putting these kids in position to play. Like, I don't think they could just show up, prepare for three weeks, and play a football game right now. I agree. I, I, I don't think that's what that's not what's going to happen. It's just a matter of I, figuring out first when it is safe for everybody to sort of come back to these mass gatherings in whatever form they take. And then once you get that established, what can you do with the calendar and how it looks? And maybe it entails pushing back the season. Like, I, I think if we're if there's no clarity on being able to do things by the middle of June, if there's not like there's not an end on the horizon like by the middle of June, I think that makes that makes sense. Then I would start to feel uh, concerned about whether or not there's going to be a football season. I'm not there yet, but I'm also not a scientist. That's your cutoff date. This stuff. Middle of June, I think. I think if there's, be- I think if if there is a if there is a clear way that is safe and responsible to get college athletes back on campus for the kind of training that we're talking about to get ready for a normal camp in like July, then I think that makes sense. If you're pushing it back into August, then you're, you're, I think if you're pushing it back into August, you're talking about a football season that's going to be shortened or extend into February, which I don't think they would do. Maybe they would, um, or not having one at all. Yeah. I mean, they could postpone, the season and play it into February. Um, they just couldn't play outside games, I think. Right. Um, and then at that point, none of the biggest games at the end of that year would be outside anyway. You know, we're talking about bowl games and playoff games, and the playoff games are always inside. So I guess they could make that work. But, like, I just, like, when you say the cutoff time of June, like, when – I think, like, if we don't know what the future of how we're able to live our lives looks like it within a month, then we're in the danger zone. To borrow the danger zone again, like I, I don't know. Yeah, it's still March. I mean, we have all of April and I think all of yeah. May before I think I would get overly concerned about about that. But I also like like Media Day. I think is scheduled for like the eighteenth Big Ten Media Day. It's like that week. I don't think you can get to that week and be like, oh, we're playing football in seven weeks. Like that, I just don't. You can't do that. Yeah, and I don't think they would yeah. do that. No, I, I agree, but I, I didn't really ever think about pushing it back. I think pushing it back could work too. I think it could. I think you're talking about messing with with programs' money, like these programs that get paid two million dollars to come get their ass kicked by Ohio State. Ohio State wouldn't get the gate from from three non conference home games. Um, there are things to consider there, but you know, I think, and you're would be piling that on top of not having the revenue from the NCAA tournament and, and spring sports getting canceled. Like there's a lot of money to yeah. play here too, that we could factor yep. into that, whether or not they'd be willing to shorten the football season. But I think I mean, they I would meant, do everything I push it back before. though. I think they would do everything in their power to try to play a full season because of all those things, if they can. And then, yeah. I then if they can't shorten it and then, you know, worst case scenario, cancel it. But I think they want to want to get that money that comes with college football for sure. Right. If they can. 
Okay, let's not get all doom and gloom. Uh, recruiting question. You ready? You geared up for this? Yep. It's from Nate W. He says, with defensive backs and running backs recruiting starting to take shape, what are the remaining priorities for the 2021 recruiting class? Sorry, I have my headphones plugged in. And I got an email. My eardrum almost ruptured. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ohio State's in a really good position right now. Um, I do think that they they probably want to get another running back because Trey Sermon is the um, one-year answer, but I don't know if he's the long-term answer. Um, so uh, to me, like I feel like running back and offensive line would be the two places that you want to fill out. But like right now, I'd say that Ohio State's recruiting class is about as balanced as it could be. And I know we're going to get into other um, recruiting questions down the line, but you know, right now, I think that like they've addressed a lot of their needs. They got a top five running back in the country committed last week. They got a top 60 defensive back committed. They've got the quarterback of the future committed. And they've got that five star defensive end committed. I mean, like they've got commitments all over the place. So to me, I think that like trying to lock down Henderson, uh, the five star running back might be um, the first player I would take if it were up to me. Um, and I was able to choose, and it's just kind of a nice, interesting question. It makes me realize that it might be time to start ranking Ohio State's top 10 targets in order of importance again. I think it is about that time. Similar question from Has it Walter been a month? Uh, I believe it has. Yeah, I think the last one you did was, was like right before the combine. Did they end up getting like half of the players I had listed on that list? I didn't, I didn't look at your list, but maybe. I got to go back and look at it. Okay, next question. Sorry. It's another recruiting question from Walter H. Over under on the number of commits they get before the end of March. He sets it at two and a half. You take the over or the under. By the end of March, they've got to get three more? By basically I'm gonna like, t- I, like, yeah, next week. Yeah, I'm going to take the under on that. I'm going to take the under two. What if, it was two. what if it was two? I would take the under. What if it was one and a half? I wouldn't bet it. <laughs> Sorry, I meant to say I probably still I, the first time, not two. If it was yeah, if it was one and a half, I probably still would take the under because two in a week is always like hard to project. And with everything that's going on right now, I know Ohio State was on a roll and they got four commitments the way that they did in a short amount of time, but it still is a pretty un uh, certain time in the world of recruiting. And you know, I'm not going to project two in six days. I would take the under. There seems to be a fairly high level of confidence out there that Travion Henderson is going to commit to Ohio State sooner rather than later. So I, th- yep. I think they will probably get one before the end of the month, and he'd be the. So guy. you're 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 predicting a five star commitment by the end of the month? Yes. Yeah. Should I, I give him a that. call today? You want to give him a call right now? Get him on the horn. We'll put him on live. Cold call. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, there, there are a lot of guys out there that they're linked with, and I suppose any one of them can pull the pull the trigger at any time. But the only one that kind of feels imminent at the moment is Henderson, and I think they'll get him before the end of the month. But I would still take the under on two and a half. If they get him before the end of the month, Ohio State's class is going to be stacked. Like heading into the summer months, I don't know. That might be an interesting story to do while we're all locked up of going back and looking at where Ohio State's recruiting classes were. Um, heading into the month of April in the past because I don't remember it ever being this good this fast. That leads us very nicely into this next question from Douglas D. I guess Ryan, do we know who Douglas that is? Uh, probably our main man, Doug, Doug DeLillo, would be my guess. 
Yes, uh, Ryan Day is putting together, arguably, in parentheses on paper, the best class in recruiting history at Ohio State. How has he managed to do it so quickly into his tenure? What are some of the things in Day's favor that maybe didn't benefit Urban in recruiting? You know, somebody asked me this on the radio this week, and they were just like trying to make a uh, ask a question. I feel like of like, how was Ryan Day better than Urban Meyer? And it's just like I'm not doing this. Um, but I do think that there's an interesting point of view that we you know we don't really talk about much um, when it comes to this discussion, and that's like Urban Meyer was probably the best recruiter or one of the top five best recruiters of all time in the modern era. Um, but he also had a very distinct and intense personality. And for as much as he raked in the world of acquiring talent, I do think there were probably times or there were times where four or five star prospects didn't want to match or couldn't match his intensity and didn't want to play for him just because they didn't like the way that he was. And that's just, you know, when you're somebody as powerful and, you know, as big of a leader as Urban is, that's, that's bound to happen. Not everybody is for everyone. And now what I think is interesting is that Ohio State is still the same place with all the same resources, but the entire top end of the program is a completely different vibe than it used to be. So sometimes I wonder now if Urban were still the head coach here, if Ohio State would still be getting the same types of numbers, but if the faces and the names would be different. You follow what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the, the names that are committing to Ryan Day right now, like his laid back, every man, um, natural, you know, easy to be around personality. Whereas if they were being recruited by Urban, you're in the room with somebody who makes you want to be at your best in terms of just what you, you know, that intensity that he has. And I just like there are commitments on this team that wouldn't be on this team if Urban were still the head coach. And there might be commitments that wouldn't be on this team had Urban still been the head coach. And I just think that the personality differences are pretty stark. And I think that it plays a huge part in like what you're seeing here. Now, that's not saying that Ryan Day or Urban Meyer are better. I still think Urban Meyer is a better recruiter because it's Urban frickin' Meyer. But I do think it's important to remember that Ohio State still has all the same resources, the same support staff, the same NFL draft numbers, a lot of these assistants that put these players in the draft. And Ryan Day is still selling to the same great program that Urban was. But I do think there is a difference there, and I think it could be working for some of the kids that are are getting in early. I think it would be easier to commit – to Ryan Day than it would be Urban, don't you think? I think it'd be less intimidating, for sure. Right, that's what I'm saying, yeah. and kids are intimidated. A 17-year-old five-star prospect still could be scared about not being good enough for Urban. It's not, There's still it's emotions not that, involved. Yeah, and it's not that the expectations are different at Ohio State. I think they're still the same. I think maybe it's just conveyed a little differently. And also, just like you get around somebody like Urban who's larger than life, you know, not everybody would be made nervous by that, but I think a lot of people would be. And I think that makes sense. It's not that, like, I don't think, like, you know, I've never had a bad interaction with Urban. I'm sure he can get all fire and brimstone when he when he gets pissed off. And, and I think he has, and I think it worked really well for Ohio State. But I also think he can be personable. I also think he's funny um, when he wants to be. But there is just something different, I think, about, one, being in that presence or even the prospect of being in that presence that, that could be not – off-putting because that, that's not the right word but maybe would give a little bit of pause or delay the process a little bit um, and I also think Urban's staff a lot of these guys are the same but the philosophy I think is a little bit different um, was maybe not as aggressive in securing early commitments I think as, as day is if that makes sense especially with kids in Ohio 
And we made this point on the last episode how good Ohio is. And that's part of it. That's part of why this class is so good is because of how good Ohio is. And I went and pulled all these numbers because I was just curious about what Urban's classes looked like. This class, 2021, has six top 150 prospects in the state of Ohio, and Ryan Day has five of them. The only one he doesn't have is Lorenzo Styles from Pickerington Central, who's going to Notre Dame. And I think part of that is because of how well Ohio State was recruiting receivers. Um, they didn't need him. I don't think. I don't. I was. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. I, I agree. I think he's a good player, but I think it also makes sense that he's not coming to Ohio State for on, on both ends. Otherwise, they got the other five guys in the top six. Urban Meyer. From 2012 to 2020, and I well, it's not only a reminder, but from 2012 to 2020, there were 42 prospects in the state of Ohio total ranked in the top 150, and Ohio State got 26 of them, so about 62%. So they were getting not nearly as many of these top in-state guys for a variety of reasons. Maybe Urban evaluated them differently. We know they recruited Ohio a little slower than it seems like Ryan Day is doing. There are a myriad of reasons. I'm not saying one way is right and one way is wrong. Um, for, for why Ryan Day looks to be recruiting Ohio a little bit differently. But because he is recruiting Ohio differently, he has secured commitments from five top 150 players in his own state, and thus his recruiting class at the moment looks awesome. And maybe if Urban was still recruiting here, they wouldn't have – maybe they would eventually get those five I think guys, they would this year, if, Bill. I think they would this year. If, These guys are so good. I think good. they would eventually get them. I don't know if they'd have them right now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Because I, I think the idea that Ohio State can slow play in-state prospects – still remains even if they're really good. Um, I don't know. It's hard. What I'm really interested in seeing is how Ryan Day, If let's say Ohio State has another playoff year. They have another awesome season, and I don't know if it culminates in just making the playoff or, or beyond that, how they will run um, their recruitment the following year in terms of when to take Ohio kids. Because last year was year one, Ryan Day um, needing to rely on Ohio because he doesn't have the brand name or the same type of um, recognizable name that Urban Meyer had. Year two, you're taking all these Ohio kids because they're just too good not to take. What's going to happen in year three? Are they going to start tending back to more national because Ryan Day will be a bigger brand name at that point? Or are they still going to continue to recruit like they did in year one? You know, it'll change over time. I think that it just depends on how talented the state is. Last last year, in the class of 2020, there was one top 150 player in the state of Ohio. It was Paris Johnson on Ohio State got him, and this year there are six. So, and I think it could be like that some years where you'll have one or two guys, and then some years you might have six or seven. So I think it'll it'll be cyclical a little bit like that. But when there are, I think when there is no doubt about it, really good talent in the state, Ryan Day is not going to hesitate to go get those guys and go get them early, where I think Urban, while he ultimately probably would have gotten them, would have gotten them as early as Ryan Day did, or will. Yeah, I wonder what the reason for that is. Is it just go out and see if you can get the five-star kid from California before you take the four-star kid out of Ohio? I mean, is it that simple? Yeah, I think so, and or it worked it, for them. For a long, it worked really well for them for the most part. There were some misses in there in state for sure, but for the most part, it, that that strategy worked. Yeah, it's like f- interesting, Bill, because for as good as the class of Ohio is, out of Ohio State's fourteen commits, seven are from Ohio right now in twenty twenty one. But if you go look at the top five players in the class in terms of the top sixty players that are committed right now, only one's from Ohio. Yeah, he's doing both. Yeah. He's, still, he's still recruiting well nationally, but he's just he's how good this class is is aided by the fact that the state is a little right. better. It's the best. It, this is the best the state has been in terms of 
depth at the top since 2016. There haven't been this many top 150 prospects since 2016. Nice. Look that up. That's some stats for you. That's, that's, uh, Bill's always got the notebook open. Always. Uh, Eric B. had a couple of like quick hit questions. Who has more touchdowns this year, Chris or yeah, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson? Chris Olave. I'm going to go Garrett Wilson if he's playing. On the yeah, I, I don't know why I said that. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say Garrett uh, Wilson if he's a I'm going to say Garrett Wilson, too, because I think he's amazing. Assuming Zach Harrison is the sack leader, who is number two in sacks on the defense? That's my dog barking. <laughs> Psychopath dog running across the um, living room. What do you think, Bill? Baron Browning. I think they're going to put him Because you think he's going to be stand-up edge? If they're going to use him a little bit as a stand-up edge, they're going to put him on the outside. I think they're going to let him like finally just like be an athlete who reacts on the edge rather than, I think, put him in a spot where he's never seemed comfortable to me at middle linebacker. And I think he's got some pretty good pass rush skill. And there isn't another defensive end. Like Tyreek Smith, I think, would be a logical answer, obviously. Outside of him, I don't know if there's anyone be like, yeah, that guy's definitely going to be it. But I, to be a little more outside of the box. I was going to say, I think Baron Browning's a good outside-the-box prediction. I was going to say Tyreek Smith because that's just the layup. But let me ask you this one. What about Teron Vincent from the inside? That's a good one. Is that that's possible? Yeah. I think, I, if, he's I think if that happens, Ohio State's defense is nasty. Yep. I think he's their starting three technique as long as he's is healthy. And he's another guy who's, I think, really um, hindered right now by, by the lack of spring practice and, and recovery time and all that stuff because he was coming off of a serious injury. He was, like, I think going to be involved for the most part in spring practice. He could at least do work with Larry Johnson, even if he wasn't full contact. And now he doesn't get to do that. So his progress in becoming a starter for the defense, I think, is is stunted a little bit. But under normal circumstances, I think that'd be a really good pick. Uh, his third question yeah. was, which, which I, 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 Sorry, go ahead. I, just, I sometimes wonder, too, like if you're injured, if this could be helpful for being more energized when it's time to go. You know, a little bit more time. I mean, I know obviously rehab is more important than relaxation, but um, sometimes I, I think, too, that these seasons are long and these kids get beaten up and, you know, pushing another two months away before fall camp starts potentially in our made-up delay world uh, might actually be beneficial for some of the guys that just need their a break on their body. I was talking uh, to Randy Wade, Sean Wade's dad, the other day, and he made that point. He said, I, Sean was not going to be a full participant in spring ball this year because he's an older guy who's played a lot of football and he needed a break. And there are some guys who, who fall into that category for sure who I think are experienced, like know the deal, and certainly could benefit from being around their team and their coaches and, and doing some work, but also I think will find some benefit in just getting a little bit of a rest, a more prolonged rest maybe than they thought they would. Now, I think at a certain point, getting that rest can can lead to becoming stale, and that's true for everybody, but it's, it is it is the other side of that I think they consider is that there are guys like Thayer Munford like probably could use a little bit of a break, and this might be a good time for him to get that while still working to get, to get healthy for next year. Uh, which freshman plays the most snaps on defense next year? I got to pull up my grid. Oh, wow. Grid. Yeah, you got to pull up the grid. Only on defense. Um, 
it's hard. Like I don't see a ton of them. I don't really see any of the true freshman players. I don't know those. Uh, uh, I think like Legend Cavazos yeah. is going to play a ton on special teams, and Cam Martinez is going to play a ton on special teams, and maybe as like a situational offensive. Watch what we can do with this guy, kind of deal. But I don't know if anyone's going to be playing a ton defensively. Like Court Williams, I was only because Josh Proctor wasn't playing in the spring was the number two deep safety. But I think we all think Josh Proctor is going to be the starter there, and maybe Court Williams can be the number two guy. But even then, I'm not sure how much that gets him on the field. I don't know. I think it's Nathan really Ransom is an absolute guys. stud. Yeah. I don't know if there's a path to get onto the field on defense. But, like, I think Lathan Ransom might be the most complete defensive back that's coming in that's ready to play right away. And, of course, we're assuming that uh, Josh Proctor is um, the starter there. But I, I just, in terms of, I mean, I, I initially gravitated to defensive back. And then you said Legend Cavazos and Cameron Martinez. And it's like, I think Lathan Ransom is better or more equipped to play on defense right away, but I don't think there's going to be a need for them. So I think special teams is really the only option here. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see a, a pat. Like it's not that they're they're losing a lot of guys on defense, but there are just a lot of guys in front of those freshmen that I think we're expecting to play and play significant. It's like what about defensive line? Like what about Jacoby Cowan? Hamilton's probably more of a, a developmental guy, um, yeah, but Darian I just don't know Henry. where. I don't like Darian Henry was was at at defensive end in the spring, and it's like Zach Harrison's definitely going to play. Tyreek Smith is going to play. Tyler Friday is going to play. Javante John Baptiste is there. Noah Potter's there. It's like there's you're going down the line pretty far, I think, before you might get to a guy like Jacoby Cowan or Darian Henry. Yeah, I think special teams is the only option here, man. Yeah, I think it is too. So he said most snaps on defense. I don't think we're, we're really bullish on anybody, but in terms of just playing the most among the freshman defensive players, I, still, I think Cavazos or, or Lathan Ransom are, are two pretty good picks. Yeah. Cam Mart- and I think Cam Martinez is too, especially if they use him a little bit on offense. We'll see. We got some basketball questions, but we're also up against it a little bit. You want to talk about basketball real quick? I think we should get a little basketball in there since what happened. Yeah, so Ohio State football keeps adding players, and, and Ohio State basketball's had some significant roster shakeup as well. Uh, DJ Carton is transferring. Alonzo Gaffney is leaving and potentially going pro, which I know blows some people's minds. Seth Towns transferred in from Harvard. Uh, Caleb Wesson is weighing his options on whether or not to turn pro, and that's a little murky at the moment because no one knows what the pre-draft process is going to look like right now for the NBA because nobody can work out or travel to do interviews or anything like that. So there's a lot of things going on. So we got there were two basketball questions. One was from Tim J about like what they might still add, and he asked if they're going to add a point guard that could sit out a year. I think if they had anybody, that's what they would do, but at the moment they're full, and it depends on whether or not Caleb decides to go pro or if somebody else leaves. So they're full. They couldn't add nothing. If they do add something, I think that's what they'll add as a point guard who would theoretically sit out next year and then and then be in position possibly to be the starter the year after that, after C.J. Walker leaves. But I think the more pressing question for everybody came from Adam S. And I think a lot of people are, are feeling this way. They're just sort of like, what's up? Like, what's going on with Ohio State basketball with all these players coming and going? And I think there is like a little bit of a wrong read about like this being some kind of indictment on where the program is. And I'm not trying to like to be the guy that defends the Ohio State basketball program because 
I think you should have a feel for what guys are going to be when you recruit them. And clearly there have been some some misses here on guys and they're leaving because of that. Not that the roster's in a terrible place, but you would prefer that your program not lose guys at this kind of rate, especially two from the same recruiting class that was ranked fairly highly like this one was. Um, but this happens in basketball. There were like 900 transfers in college basketball last year, and the vast majority of them were not graduate transfers. It's just sort of the nature of the beast with the sport, and I think coaches recruit guys with the understanding that like classes very rarely will see things through, see th- see th- their careers through. Weird, unexpected stuff can happen, which is what happened with DJ Carton, and that's not to label what happened with him weird. It's just like a thing that has never I've never seen it happen before. A guy had mental health issues that he had to tend to, and that led to him making the decision to to look for a fresh start somewhere else. And I would hope that people would respect that, even if you're upset with the fact that a talented player is leaving your basketball program. And then, like, sometimes guys make a little puzzling decisions, like Alonzo Gaffney, who's going to try to go pro most likely. But that was something that was talked about before he got here. Like, I, I was talking with people about the idea that he might try to do this after his freshman year, no matter what it looked like, and then he didn't play. And now he's he's going to look for something else. So I don't I don't think this is – the program's on fire. I think this is just like college basketball in 2020, but I'm curious in your perspective, Ari, as someone who doesn't follow it as closely as I do, like I can probably, I, maybe I'm a little too close to it and don't have the, the 30,000 foot view that I should have. Like what do you, when you see DJ Carton leaves and Alonzo Gaffney leaves and they're bringing in transfers and uh, like Micah Potter transferred before uh, last season, like do you look at this and think like what's going on with this program, or do you look at it and think like this makes sense in the greater scheme of college basketball? Well, I covered Ohio State basketball for three years, um, and I don't remember there being much turnover, and that might just be because I forgot everything, or but I don't remember this happening. But like when you start talking about like the reason why DJ Carton is leaving, like I don't think that you can frame that in in terms of what that means for Ohio State basketball and whether or not Holtman did the right thing. Like, he suffers from mental health um, issues, and he's trying to better his life. And a lot of times when people have those issues, not an expert on that, but they go home or they, they want to be near the people that they love. And, like, trying to frame that into what's wrong with Holtman and their program, I think, is kind of ill-advised. Um, I know that Gaffney was also supposed to be somebody that was one of their better players for the next few years. So, you know, all the things that are occurring are, are weird, but they also have a major transfer coming in now, too. So I do think that Holtman from the outside is a good coach. Um, and I do think that Ohio State basketball should be competing at the highest level in the Big Ten. Um, and I think that the only way that Ohio State will continue to be what or will get back to being what they were when I covered them and even before I got to Ohio is by luring and getting NBA out in the recruiting process. And I don't know if they're doing that. Like To me, that's the number one thing. It's like they got Greg Oden... Daquan Cook and um, Mike Conley Jr. in the same recruiting class. And then, like, they got Der- Jared Sullinger as an NBA player. I mean, they had a lot of talent in, like, the early two- 2010 teen- t- years. And it's like, what recruit has Ohio State gotten in your mind that could even compare to any of those guys? Well, the the Odin and Conley and Cook group I, like, is lightning in a bottle, and I I think like an unfair expectation to have for Ohio State basketball. Like great job Thad Mata for landing that group. Was I guess was a second recruiting class. That's awesome. That's like some shit that Duke and and Kentucky do, and and very few other teams can get two lottery picks in the same class, and then another first round pick with with the same group, and then have that group go to the national championship game. If that's your expectation for how Ohio State should be recruiting, like you're going to be disappointed all the time. 
but I I don't disagree with the idea that they should be able to lure pro talent um, somewhat regularly, but not all in the same class. Um, and, and I guess it doesn't. It doesn't really- have to be in the in the same class. But Bill, we're talking about Kata Bates, Diop, D'Angelo Russell, Evan Turner, Jared Sollinger. I mean, like this wasn't like one year. Like they had a, a solid decade of having s- legit NBA players on their team every year, and it's like ever since that left. I mean, I don't know for the most part, right? Solinger was in the NBA. Kata went to the NBA as a second round pick. D'Angelo went to the NBA. Evan Turner, Turner, Kufus, I guess was in the. This has been in the league for a while. Yeah, so, I don't know. I guess, I guess you're right. Like these aren't. These aren't transcendent NBA talents, but they are. I'm not saying you have to have Michael Jordan on your team, but yeah. they had pros on their team every year. And yeah. I don't, I don't know. If not all those guys pros. Yeah. I think EJ Liddell is a pro. Um, Carton is a pro. I know he's not going to finish here, but he, we got him. He was a pro. You look at someone like Alonzo Gaffney if he was willing to stick it out here and and I think like work through the things that freshmen have to work through sometimes. Um, he could have become an NBA player because he's a six foot nine wing athlete who maybe could develop to shoot the ball a little more. Um, their incoming class, I don't know. Their incoming class was a smaller group because they were anticipating having a large group of freshmen from the last year carrying over. But then, like Seth Towns, I think is an NBA player. He wasn't out of high school for them, but they just got him from Harvard. I think he's a, he is an NBA player. And I also think they kind of started from a bad spot when they got here. Now, I, I don't disagree with you over time. But I think they need to show an ability to do that. Um, unless Holtman can just win without it. And maybe he can. He he did pretty well at Butler kind of without those kind of guys. But this is a different animal, clearly. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to have those kind of players to be competitive in the Big Ten as long as you're a really good coach. And I'm not saying that Holtman's that guy. But if they're going to continue trending this way with how they're building the roster and not getting those kind of players you're talking about, then he better be a really good coach because the expectation can't be to just finish fifth or sixth or seventh in the Big Ten every year and have that be okay. I don't, I don't think that's the direction the Ohio State basketball should be going. Um, but I also don't think that we've seen enough evidence yet to sort of know where this is going, if that makes sense. Um, this next year's team is going to be really old. Um, a lot, a couple of fifth year guys, a couple of fourth year guys, a couple of third year guys, not heavy on freshmen or sophomores playing significant roles. And that's what Holtman said he's wanted all along. Um, and I think they're going to be pretty talented. Seth Towns is really good. Ivy League player of the year. He's a great scorer. He's coming off a, of an injury. He hasn't played in two years because of it. But if he's healthy, he's a really good player who, if he didn't have the opportunity to go to Harvard, would have been at maybe Michigan or Ohio State the first time around. He was good enough to play at either of those programs and, and elsewhere. And Duke Duke was involved in his recruitment this time around. So I, I, this, to me, feels sort of like put-up-or-shut-up year. Like you're finally getting your roster to a place where you want it. You can't have a January like you've had the last two years where you can't win in your own league. And, and I think they know that. I think they know what the expectation of Ohio State basketball is. I just don't know. I'm, I'm not at a place yet to say like they're not they're not where they need to be. Um, because I think there was always an understanding on my part that it was going to take a little bit of time to build this roster back up to where it, where it had to be to, to be that kind of team. Yeah, I, uh, it sucks for them because they could have gone to the NCAA tournament this year and gone to the Sweet 16, and then this entire conversation's off. You know, and you know who knows what would have happened if the actual season was still going on. But um, you know what the thing is, Bill, and I, and I think when you were talking, you made a lot of good points, and I might have misrepresented my thought process. 
And again, you're the expert here. I'm not the expert on Ohio State basketball anymore. But Ohio State had pros, you know, all those pros that I listed. But they were like marginal NBA players. They were like the best players in college basketball in their years. Like Evan Turner was the best player in college basketball his final year. Jared Selinger was the best player in college basketball. Greg Oden was too. And I understand that like, you know, some of those guys didn't make it in the NBA and some pan didn't some didn't pan out and some did. But when those guys were in college, they were like the elite of the elite players in the game. And like D'Angelo Russell, my last year covering Ohio State basketball before I had some transitions in my job, um, they didn't have a very good team that year. But like still was a very interesting, fun team to watch because they had a legit NBA player leading leading the show. And they made it almost they almost knocked off Arizona to make it to the Sweet 16 that year. And it's just like I just don't know if the top level like watching Ohio State basketball on TV as a casual onlooker feels like a different sport than when I'm watching Kansas play. And I know that like Kansas isn't the litmus test of what Ohio State should be, but they aren't in that category. And if I think at times Ohio State basketball fans are spoiled because they were in that category, unrightfully so, because Thad Mata did such a great job during his tenure that he changed the entire viewpoint of what Ohio State should be. I mean, this team's fan base is accustomed to Final Four runs. And Final Fours don't usually happen for most teams. So, like, it's just, what's the bar? And you have to reset the bar. And if the bar is make it to the NCAA tournament and it was a successful year, that's a huge step down from going to the Final Four every other year, like they did for for a while there. And, like, they haven't had a D'Angelo Russell-type talent on this roster since he left. And can Ohio State go get the number four point guard in America and have him start for him anymore? I don't even know if that's possible anymore. Well, they got Carton, who I think might have been the number four point guard in America. Yeah, he yeah. He's leaving, so it doesn't sit. Like, Thad went to two Final Fours, right, in 13 years? Yeah. Um, I don't think he that's He went to two Final bar. Fours, and he also had the one of the best teams in college basketball history that got upset they in the Sweet upset. 16. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't think like final final four or bust. Like I would hope is not is not the the standard here, but I think competing for the Big Ten is and should be and it, and simply making the NCAA tournament at a, at a place like Ohio State should not be the bar to you for you to determine whether or not you're having a successful season. And I know that's kind of been the deal with Holtman's teams so far. At least the first. I think it was reasonable the first two years. It's like. Especially the first year, like no one knew what that team was going to be. They ended up being one of the better teams in the conference in a year where the league was down, and I think that that year was exceeding expectations in my opinion. And then I thought the second year, I didn't think the roster was very good, and clearly throughout stretches of Big Ten play, they didn't look very good. But they still got to the tournament and they won a game. I thought that was a decent enough year. Like it wasn't a step back. That was like basically just like what they should have been that year. And then this year, for as crappy as January was, like it's hard for me to have like an opinion on where they were at and where they were going because the tournament didn't happen. And, and they can say all the nice things like we thought we had a run in us, and they certainly had been playing well, and, and I think that would have carried over. But you can't say for sure, and it just leaves you kind of in a weird place with with like the trajectory of the program, and then you add on a guy like DJ Carton, who everybody was super excited about leaving, and I could get why that might give people some pause about where the program's going. I guess what I would say is... Like, with him leaving, too, you have to hammer that home is completely independent of anything to do with Ohio State basketball. That's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that. But I also think it's hard to separate. Like, I get like we get, People get emotional about it. And they have a hell of a lot more time to think about it now because there's nothing else going on. Um, 
I guess my view on it would be like, I, I want to see what this year looks like. I want to see what like Chris Holtman finally does with the kind of team he's like said he wanted to have. And, and if it looks something similar to what it's looked like the last two years where they have these like inexplicable dips where guys look like they're not having a great time playing with each other, then that's cause for concern for me, but I'm not there yet. Um, I think roster turnover is rampant in college basketball and Ohio state's not immune to it. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with the program. I just think that's sort of the way it is. I think these guys are pretty good coaches. If they're not fad level, fad model level coaches, um, maybe they're not. And then I, I don't know what that means for Ohio state basketball, but I want to see what this year looks like now that he has an older team with some talent on it and and he's had four years to kind of get, get things where he wants to get in. Fair enough. That's a lot of basketball talk. I yeah, most, if I sounded like people, an idiot, if I sounded like an idiot, I apologize. No, That's just, I think I think your perspective is valuable because I think you come at it from a place where a lot of of, of Ohio State fans come at it and I come at it from a position of probably being too close to it. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I used to cover the, the team, so I think I have an idea of, like, what, in terms of fan engagement and stuff and what, what causes interest, and it's just, like, it's hard, in my opinion, to go from D'Angelo Russell and Evan Turner and Jared Sullinger to every three years this team might be a uh, Elite Eight Sweet 16 team. It's just a different era now. Um, but, yeah, I do think that the fun thing about college basketball is, is that this team was talented enough if everything came together, if Carton, you know, would have, you know, remained mentally healthy and, and wouldn't have needed that time off. And, you know, with Caleb Wesson, they had enough talent to make an NCAA tournament run with right matchups. And that's what's so great about it. Like one four game winning streak, as simple as it is to say, but one four game winning streak in college basketball changes the entire perception of your program. And that's what makes it difficult having not seen what this team could do. Because as much as the ups and downs that this team had this year, it's there've been way worse teams who have gone past the sweet 16. Uh, so, you know, it's just a kind of hard, hard thing to not, not get to see. Yeah. Like it, the last thing I want to say, like, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but it probably will come off the wrong way. And I'm not trying for it to, not, I'm not trying to say what it's going to sound like. I'm saying, uh, the two guys that were leaving Carton and Gaffney and people are like kind of freaked out about players leaving Ohio state won nine of its last 13 games in a really good league without both of them. I think they're going to be okay. I don't think. I think DJ Carton, wherever he goes, is going to be good. I think he's a good player. Um, Ohio State managed to move on without him, and I think that they'll be talented again next year. That's the basketball guy. <laughs> okay, sorry to interrupt your your ear space with basketball talk, but we got some questions about it, and people around Ohio State have been talking about it, so I thought we'd go there. If you stayed on through all of it. We love you. Thank you very much. Uh, we will be back with another episode next week. Maybe Ohio State will add 19 more recruits before then. We'll have more to talk about. Uh, someone mentioned uh, there was a question about like games to rewatch while we're all on social distancing and isolation and all that stuff. Uh, I think we have some stuff coming, right? You're going to do a, a thing. I'm going to do that this games. week. Yeah. Top 10, 10 games, games to watch on YouTube. I've got to do the research because I know what 10 games I would want to pick. But I don't know if they're all on YouTube, so that's the battle. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out there for you guys in the next few days. And I am going to uh, watch. I've never watched the 2002 national title game. 
I didn't grow up an Ohio State fan. I like listen. I remember listening to part of it on the radio, but I've never watched it. And obviously, it's an important game in the history of the program. So like, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna watch that game for the first time and like write about my experiences watching it sort of live. And I think that'll be probably for next week. So Guys, he does not fun. know about the most iconic play of that game. He doesn't know about it. I don't. That might make me sound like a dumbass when my job is to cover Ohio State football, and I'm okay that it does, but. Um, I'm like excited. I've never seen it. I'm excited though. I've seen like highlights of it, obviously, and like I kind of know the. You've seen the, you know the play. You're just not remembering it. When you see it, you'll have seen the play. Yeah, maybe. But I'm like excited to watch it in its entirety and like react to it in real time, and hoping that that will make for an interesting piece of content on the athletic because that's what we're trying to do through these weird times where there are no sports is to provide you with interesting content, including this podcast. Hope it was interesting. Uh, Anything else, Ari? You'd like to add before we go? Uh, no. <laughs> Have your pets spayed or neutered. Uh, thanks for listening to 4 to 6 with A&B. We'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.